If you're going to be in here with us this morning, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to John chapter 15. We started John 15 last week, and we're going to continue it this week. Uh, We're going to be picking up in verse 9, which should be on page 958 in the Black Pew Bibles there in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to. Uh, Make sure you keep it open because we're going to be jumping around a little bit through the passage this morning. And as we've been singing today, we've sung a lot about the love that God has for his children. As we you know, just finished up Valentine's a few weeks ago, some of you guys are probably hoping that we would just move on because to you, love is a weak, sentimental thing and you just don't really care about it and you'd rather us move on because you're not mushy and gushy like that. Well, unfortunately for us, as if, if you're in that boat, it's unfortunate that for us as Christians, love is actually a key component of who we are and who we're called to be. In fact, what we're going to be seeing this morning is just how foundational God's love for us is in the way that we both receive and remain in his love and then reflect that love to others even when they hate us. In fact, as we go through this passage, if you catch nothing else this morning, these are going to be our points and we'll go through and explain them a little bit more, but we need to remain in his love and reflect that to others as we expect to be hated by the world, okay? We need to remain in God's love and reflect that love to others, even as we expect to be hated in the world. Now, as we go through John 15, we're going to be seeing this more clearly. If you are somebody who just balks at that idea of love, because for you, it's just emotion and sentimentality, let me remind you that the biblical picture of love is of sacrifice and action. It's not about just ushy-gushy romantic feelings. It's not about crying when you watch Lassie movies, although that's okay if you're like me and Don Rochelle, who both admit to the fact that we do, okay? All right, is Don even in here? Where did Don duck out? All right. Sorry, Don, for throwing you under the bus on that one, but I'm right there. I, my wife remembers fondly the day that I started crying watching a My Little Pony episode, okay? I, it, it happens, all right? If you didn't watch the Friendship is Magic series, there were some good moments in that series. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right? It was really well written. I'm just going to say. The new stuff is weird from what I understand, so just avoid that. But, but that in-between was really good. As we're diving in, though, love is not just crying at the sappy part when the music builds at the end of the movie. It's not just this feeling that we get or this Twitter patient that we feel in spring. It is this deeply rooted, active, sacrificial love. And as we look at the love that God has shown us and his expectation that we would then show that to others, my hope today is, is multiple fronts here. One, I'm hoping that if you're coming in today and you don't feel very loved, if you're coming in today and whether it's because there's tension in your marriage that nobody else knows about, whether it's something that you're fighting in your own mental health struggle and, and you just can't get on top of it and you feel isolated and alone and that nobody cares about you, Whatever it is, whether it's fear about Ukraine or or about what's going on in the world or or these things that, that make you just scared of life, my first hope is that as we look at the love that Jesus has for his children is that you'll be able just to remain in that for a little bit. Just, just pause in that and just soak it in for just a bit. We, we know that, that life is more than emotion, that it's based off of truth and reality, but, but some days you just need to crawl up in the, the lap of your father who loves you and say, God, this hurts, and find love there. Then my, my hope and my challenge is that you'll be able to reflect that love to others, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll take a little bit of a look at what that looks like for us to then take that love that God's shown us as we understand it better and reflect that back to those around us. And then we're going to see that in light of all of this, we have to expect 
that the world's going to hate us for what we do. By the way, when we get to that section, I'm just going to go ahead and step on a few toes just so you know, okay? We're going to get there. Um, Let's go ahead and just get it out there. When we talk about the world hating us, it's not about hating us because of a stance on masks or a stance on vaccinations or a stance on this particular social issue or whatever it may be. Rather, we're talking about the world hating us because we love Jesus and we want to honor him. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, okay? Um, John Ortberg, in a book, The Life You've Always Wanted, talked about the fact that sometimes Christians have this idea that if we can't be holy, we should at least be weird, (laughs) right? Like, just do stuff that makes you weird. Don't be weird for weirdness sake, because following Jesus and some of the stances we take as believers are going to make us look really weird to the world, and we should just expect that, and we'll talk more about that toward the end of the message. But all of this comes off of a foundation of the love that God's shown us. Now, let's put it into context. Last week, we were looking at the first part of John chapter 15. Jesus is in the last night of his earthly ministry and his life with his disciples. He's washed their feet. He's been teaching them about what things are going to happen after this, about the fact that he's the way, the truth, and the life, about the fact that they're going to feel alone, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be their comforter and their guide, and he's going to talk more about that in chapter 16 that we'll look at next week. We saw last week he was talking about this need for us as believers to simply abide in the vine. And abiding means that we rest in his love, we rest in his joy, we rest in his commands and do what God said. And as we do, we bear fruit because of Jesus' life working through us to help us to be able to look more like Jesus in the way that we live. So now we're picking up, actually we're going to kind of rehash the last few verses we looked at last week and go back through some more. Uh, we're going to read it a piece at a time. So let's just jump back in here in First Corinthians, or excuse me, First Corinthians 15. Great passage, but not this one. Um, John 15, starting in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, the first thing that we want to see this morning is that if you and I are going to really be able to live a life that honors Jesus, if we're going to find the rest and hope that we need, we need to start by remaining in his love. Now, I want you to go back and read this verse again slowly with me. Verse 9, you don't have to read it out loud, just just read along with me. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Let that sink in for just a minute. The way that God has loved us forms the foundation for the way that we're called to love other people. So I think it's vitally important for us to park for just a minute here and look at what God's love toward us looks like, okay? If you've grown up in church, you've heard the phrase, God loves you so many times that you may have very easily lost what this actually means and what this looks like. Because like I said, you've heard a million different times, God loves you. You saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So you may not even bat an eye when you read this passage. However, what we just read is one of the most incredible realities in all of human history. Think about what Jesus is saying here. Do you remember when we talked a few weeks ago about the Trinity? We said that God exists eternally as three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He has always been both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Throughout all of human history, neither the Son nor the Spirit is created by or less than the Father. All three make up the God 
excuse me, the Godhead. Remember we said that God is more three than I am and God is more one than three people are. There's this beautiful mystery called the Trinity. Now, as we think about that mystery, as we think about the beauty of that relationship, think about what love looks like between the Father and the Son, okay? What does love look like between God the Father and God the Son? This is a love from eternity past. This is a love that has literally always been there. Before anything else existed, God existed as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a love relationship between the three of them. That that love emanates from who God is. It's not just something he does, but the Bible teaches us that God is love. In his very character, in his very nature, in who he is, God is love. And from eternity past, he's always been love. In fact, Michael Reeves, an author who wrote a book called Delighting in the Trinity, says this is what we find in creation. God didn't create out of a need or out of lack. God didn't create because he was bored or because he just wanted somebody to serve him. Instead, God created as the love that existed within the Trinity overflowed into this beautiful world that God made. How many of you got outside yesterday far enough to get a little bit of a sunburn last night? Yeah, it was gorgeous. I, these days make me alive. I love being outside when it's right at that 70 degree weather, nice breeze, sun shining. You know, we have a dog that's forcing us to spend a whole lot more time outside than we used to, right? And as we're standing outside there with the dog, it was an absolutely gorgeous day. The beauty of the world around you is still stained by sin, and yet you see, as Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. We we can watch. Did you guys see the sunset last night? Did you see those brilliant purples and pinks that were painted along the horizon there? All of this is an overflow of God's love. All of this is an expression of the beauty and the joy that's existed within the Godhead from eternity past. Now, I mean, think about it. Every human relationship we have is strained, right? I mean, every marriage has moments where you're at odds with each other. There are times when, as a parent, you don't exactly like your kids, right? Nobody prepared me that, for that, by the way. Like, I did not realize that there would be days that I would look at my kid and go, you know, I don't really like you right now. And maybe I'm the only one that's honest enough to admit that, but I think you've all been there at some point. I, I try to tell every pre-married, counsel, or every pre-married couple that I, I counsel, I say there will be a time, by the way, for those of you dating in the room, take this, write this down, okay? There will be a time, six months, maybe a year after you're married, you are gonna roll over, you are gonna look at that beautiful person that you married, that was God's gift to you, and you're gonna look at them and say, What on earth did I do? This was the biggest mistake I have ever made in my life. It's okay. The reason I tell you that is because like 99.99999% of couples will face that. And if you're not prepared to deal with that, it can really mess you up. The reality is you're marrying somebody who's not perfect and neither are you. And you figure that out after you're married. Some of you are like, dude, it didn't even take six months right? Every human relationship we have, no matter how well we we are trying to love each other well, falls short. There's always selfishness. 
There's always pride. There's always arrogance that comes in. I want what I want. I don't care what you want. It comes into every single relationship. Paul Tripp in his book on parenting talks about gospel-centered parenting. And he says, parents, if you're honest, when you get mad at your kids at night because they're not going to bed, it's not because they're breaking God's law. It's because you want them to listen to you. He said, if you're going to get mad at their sin, you get mad at the fact that they're being disobedient and that's setting up a pattern of disobedience in their heart that will keep them from being able to be rightly related to God. He said, if that's the motivation for your frustration, then you're doing okay. But the reality is you're not. You just want to watch your show and you want them to go to bed and you're tired of hearing the door open. Y'all been there? Okay. So every human relationship we have is strained. Every love relationship we enter into disappoints. Now, as a dad especially, guys, this is your job to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And as the fact that God chooses often to reveal himself in Scripture as our Father, that means that you have a unique responsibility to love your wife and your children well to make it easier for them to believe that God loves them unconditionally. You're not going to do it perfectly, but that's your job and mine, to love my wife and my kids well so that when their pastor stands up and says, God is your loving heavenly father, they don't go, I have no idea what that looks like because they've seen it in you. That's your goal. Now, why do I bring all that up? Think about the love that existed from eternity past between the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Think about how perfect that is in comparison to every single relationship we have on earth. Think about what it must be like to be perfectly known and perfectly loved from all eternity. And what does Jesus say? As the Father has loved me, I have loved. That love from eternity past, that perfect understanding and knowledge and acceptance, so much so that John would say in John chapter 3, verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And then in John 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. That kind of love, that's the way that God has loved you. Do you know you? How many times do you go through an entire day without giving a second thought to who God is? Let's be honest. Something comes up, it gets busy, and you've gone hours and you realize you haven't thought a thing about what God's doing. And yet, God loves you in the same way that the Father loves the Son. Does that blow your mind? This is what I was praying about not being able to communicate. If, if, if this doesn't hit you, I don't know how to make it hit you. It's something that, that, that there are days in my heart, it's too cold in my heart for me to really fully grasp and understand this. But the reality of, the, of this is that, that God is inviting you into the same love relationship that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of love that Jesus is offering you that's not based off what you can do, but it's based off what Jesus has done for you.
This is the way he loves his children. Now, as you think about it, I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones in her book, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which, by the way, it's one of my favorite children's Bible story books. If you don't have it, I would encourage you. In fact, actually, if you're an adult and you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it. The pictures may look kind of weird to you, but some of the stories, the way that she puts them are just absolutely beautiful. This is one of my favorite things she says in there. God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. A never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Why is there something in our hearts that when we see like the movie Taken and the father's daughter gets kidnapped And he says, I will come for you. Why is there something in us as men that says, I want to be that guy? Why is there something in us that says, I want somebody to come for me that way? Because God created us to love him in such a way that we would know this never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This is the love that God offers to his children that says, no matter what, I will come for you. Didn't we see that in chapter 14? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will receive you to myself. He's the hero. He's a whole lot cooler than Liam Neeson. And he's coming back for you. Even though Liam Neeson did voice in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, okay. He's coming for you because he loves you. He's pursuing you today because he loves you. You may be here this morning and you've never surrendered to Christ. You've never given your life to God because you've been afraid of what it would cost. What you're giving up is an experience with the God who loves you so much that he would pursue you to the ends of the world. That he would literally leave heaven and come and walk on the earth and die in your place on a cross. This is the God who calls us to serve him. By the way, this is why we can't just dismiss this and make Christianity a side part of who we are. This is what's at the core. A God who is love and a God who has shared that same love with you. Now it is worth noting, by the way, that this kind of love that Jesus has shown us, this never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love is available to all who will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But you will not experience God's love in the same way if you choose to stay in your own sin. If you choose to live life your own way. Now, there are ways that God loves everybody. Sometimes we talk about the term like common grace. You know, coffee still tastes good whether you know Jesus or not. Sunsets are still pretty whether you know Jesus or not. There's common grace, but guys, to truly know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, as Paul says to the church at Ephesus, one has to be in a relationship with him. And when you come into that relationship, it's not based off of what you've done. That's why John would write in his letter in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. You didn't start this. It wasn't that you somehow worked really hard and and God looked at you and said, oh, wow, he's a really good guy. I think I'm going to love that guy. God loves you because he loves you. Again, think back to a good parent. Some of you may not have had this experience, but if you're a good parent, you love your kids simply because they're your kids. 
You don't love them because they're smart, because they're athletic, because they're, they're uh, good at school. You don't love them because they're attractive. You don't love them because they listen really well. You love them because they're your son or your daughter, and it doesn't matter. In the same way, God loves us. Because through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he has drawn us to himself. And as we've responded to what he's been doing, then as we respond to him drawing us to himself, we are made children of God. And he says, just like the Father loved me, so I've loved you. So remain in my love. Root your heart in that love. Now, he goes on to verse 10 to explain that that's going to involve obedience. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Remember, we've talked about this over the last few weeks. If we love Jesus, we're going to do what he says because we believe that he loves us enough to only ask us to do what's in our best interest, what's for our good, what's ultimately for his glory. Remember, he's the one who gets to define that, by the way. You may not think that something that happens to you is in your best interest. But can you trust that obeying God and doing what God says is for his glory and ultimately for your good? As you bear fruit, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, out of a heart that's remaining in his love. Now, how are you doing with that this morning? You see, it's very easy for us. If I, if I asked probably many of you in this room, an old question that came out of an evangelism training seminar we used to do, Evangelism Explosion, back in the day. One of the questions they would ask you is, if you were to die today and were stand before God, he, what, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? what would you say? Now, if I asked you that, unfortunately, many of us, just because of the way that we're used to as Americans, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? That's what we do. So most of us, our response is, because I do good things, I go to church, I give money, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. The reality is none of that is what saves us. The only thing that saves us is that Jesus loved us enough to die in my place, be buried and rose from the dead, and gave me his life. That's it. Now, God's not going to ask you that question when you get to heaven. But the answer is not because I've been a good person. That's not going to get you in because you couldn't be good enough. No, God, the reason that you should let me into heaven is because you love me. Because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. You've made me your child. Not because of what I've done but because of what you've done. So are you resting in that? Or are you still trying to earn your way with God? Guys, listen, Jesus loves you, period, end. That's it. If you got up this morning at five o'clock in the morning and you spent the first two hours of your day in reading and in prayer, God loves you. If you barely drug yourself out of bed this morning and you're a hot man and last night you fell into temptation that you've been trying to overcome for years and you've been falling again and again, the love of God is unchanging for you. Now, don't stay in that sin. Don't think that it's okay for you to keep doing that. Why? Because if God loves me that much, why would I want to keep hurting him? 
Yet at the same time, know that because of what Jesus has done, you are fully known and fully loved in this exact moment. Rest in that. Remain in that. So some of you, that's where you need to start today. Is you, you've taken for granted the love of God and you've said, you know what? I've been trying to earn my way to heaven or just trying to make something of myself. And the reality is I just need to rest in the fact that God loves me no matter who I am or what I've done because of what Jesus has done. Again, guys, by the way, I hope that I'm I'm being clear in this. This is true of those who have surrendered to Christ. Most of the folks that I see in this room, I, I believe you have a relationship with Jesus and you know him. If you are still trying to do life on your own, this is not true of you yet. It can be, but it's not true of you yet. Okay? It's only through that relationship that we enter into with, through Christ that we experience this blessing. But for those of us who are here who know Jesus, you are loved by God, period, end. Okay? So maybe you need to stop a particular area of sin because you've been forgetting the fact that there's a God who loves you so much that he's grieved every time you do this. Every time you make that decision, he's grieved. He doesn't love you any less. He can't. But it does grieve his heart. Maybe you've been trying so hard to to accomplish things or try to, to make a name for yourself or something because at your core, you feel like that's the only way you'll be valuable. You're so valuable that the God of the universe extended the own, the love that exists within himself to you. That settles who you are. Now, There is an expectation with this. As you and I rest and remain in God's love, there's more that he tells us here. And that is that we should reflect that love back to other people. That's the second thing we want to see. Pick up again in verse 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one is greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Now, jump down to verse 17. This is what I command you. Love one another one another. Now, it's all well and good for God to love me with that same kind of love that exists within the Trinity, right? That's awesome. I can, I can take that to the bank all day. With that love comes the expectation that I'm going to show it to others. Can we get real honest for a second? We can go through this, and we can say all this, and I can yell and all these kind of things, but there's honestly a proud part of us It's totally okay with God loving us. Did you ever have a time in class where you you did some kind of game or activity and the teacher said, now, there's no winners in this, right? Everybody wins. There's no winners. There's no losers. But you kept score and you know you were winning, right? You've been there. You know, right? I imagine as I go through this and I explain that you are loved by God, irrespective of what you have done, because it's based off of Jesus and his relationship within himself, that some of it in there going, that's right, God loves everybody, especially me. Now, you're too good to say that. You, you've got it down. You're not gonna say that out loud. You're not gonna let your demeanor show that. But in your heart, there's a part of you that still feels like, yeah, but see, because of all that I've done for God, I deserve his love. If you have that kind of mentality, you will never be able to reflect that love back to others. 
because you're thinking that somehow you earned or deserved the love of God, and that could not be farther from the truth. Spend some time in Romans chapter 5 if you need some help with that. Actually, spend some time just reading through Romans. If, if you don't get it by that, just go back and read it again. Romans chapter 5 is where it says that we were God's enemies, but God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, were, we weren't good where God des- we deserve for God to love us. God just loved us. We were his enemies. And yet God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we put crosses up here is just to keep us reminded of the fact that Jesus died in our place. If I think that I deserve it, then I deserve other people to love me too. And I'm gonna get upset because somebody didn't do what I thought they should towards me. And I'm gonna hold grudges because I did this for this person and they never did this for me. Jesus says, that's not how this works. He said, as I loved you, as I have loved you, right? So the father loves the son, the son loves us, and in the same way, we're supposed to love others, just like Jesus loves us. They don't deserve your love. They're never going to pay it back. It's always going to be one-sided. And Jesus said that the clearest picture of love is laying down your life for a friend. Guys, every relationship, if you start keeping score, you're always going to be the one who's giving more, serving more, doing more, loving more, whatever. You're always, because you're going to skew the scoreboard in your favor every single time. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love keeps no record of wrongs. We throw out the scoreboard, it doesn't matter. Why? How can I do that? How, how, can, how can we love people when they don't love us back the way that they're supposed to? Because it doesn't matter. Could I ever repay Jesus for the love that he's shown me? Could I ever love him as well as he's loved me? Could I ever sacrifice more than he sacrificed leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth and dying in my place? Could I ever give more than that? If if that's the case, then that means that there's nothing that I could ever do to pour my life out for somebody else that's more than what Jesus has already done for me. It's all a part of loving them just like Christ loved me. That's why John would go on to say in verse 20, right after he had said that thing about we love because God loved us first, this is the very next verse. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who loves his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God who's not seen. Now, notice that in this, there's a special note of the way that we love each other as our brothers and sisters in Christ. The reality is, if you're here today and you are a Christian, truly where you have been saved by Jesus, you have surrendered to him, following him as your Lord, your leader, your boss of your life, then every other Christian, both in this room, in this community, and in this world, is your brother or sister. If you're not loving your brothers or sisters well, John said, you very very well not actually know God. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, 
he is a liar. We were looking in our Discover class about our goal is love and the fact that we say we love God, there's in our family and our church and our community and our world. And we talked about the fact that if we don't love each other as believers, there's not a chance we can go out there and win the world. There's not a chance out there. Why would I want to invite somebody to come to our church if we're divided along the two sides and this side hates this side for what they're doing? Why would I want somebody to to come into that? Why would somebody want to follow Jesus if we're all a part of the family of God and we can't even get along with each other? Now, we're going to have family squabbles. There's going to be times where we don't like each other a little bit because of some different things. It's going to happen. But as a family of God, we're called to love one another just like Jesus loves me. There are other churches in town who do things differently than we do. Teach differently, do music differently, do missions differently. But you know what? We need to love them well. We need to pray for them. This morning, I had a text from a friend of mine who's a pastor over in Radford, and he texted me and said, hey, brother, I'm praying for you this morning. How many of you have ever heard of Providence Presbyterian Church here in Christiansburg? Okay. Some of you guys know Providence, very few. Did you know that Providence prays for a church in Christiansburg every week, and we're on the rotation of churches that they pray for? Because I'm friends with their pastor, Brian Waters. He's a great man who loves Jesus. They do things a little differently than we do but he loves Jesus and he loves his church family well. And they pray for us. What would it look like? What would it look like if we really loved our brothers and sisters well? Well, it would look like laying down our lives, wouldn't it? It would look like Acts chapter 2 where it said all the believers were together and had all things in common. By the way, this is not forced communism. This is saying that as the church was together, if you had a need and I had a surplus, I took my surplus to to meet your need. In fact, in chapter 4, it goes on to say that there weren't any poor among them. And that doesn't mean that they didn't reach out to lower class individuals. It meant that the church loved them so well that when someone got saved, they didn't stay in poverty because the church rallied around them to support them however they could to lift them out of poverty. What if that was true of us? It says they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved boy, wouldn't you want to be a part of a church like that? Now, guys, we've got an awesome church family. As we started off our Discover class this morning, this isn't my church, and it's not your church. It's God's church. What God is doing in this church, however, is a wonderful thing. There's joy. There's excitement. There are relationships that are being developed. Hey, by the way, I want to give you a cool piece of information. Many of you are aware that we have a mortgage here at Christiansburg Baptist Church. I joked with folks that uh, when I talk about the way the church is structured, that the Southern Baptist Convention doesn't own the church, but neither do we. National Bank of Blacksburg owns the building. (laughs) There's a milestone that we get to celebrate. Last fall, 
we crossed just under the million-dollar threshold on what's left on our mortgage. We have been above that number for quite some time, and just last fall, uh, we dropped down to $985,000 remaining on the building. That is something to celebrate and praise God for because there were days in our church family when we were not able to pay the mortgage like we should. So for God to allow us to get to a point where we've now crossed below a million dollars, by the way, if anybody's sitting on a million dollars and they have nothing that they want to do with it, I have a great place for you to be able to invest that in the kingdom, okay? However, these are indications of God at work. There's a joy, there's an excitement. What if that grows to where we're not just friendly at church, but we really have friends at church? What if that grows to where if somebody comes into our church family who has need, we love them in such a way that they reach a place of physical, emotional, financial stability? What would that look like? What if we loved each other that way? Because isn't that what God did for us? He calls us to love one another just like he's loved us. Why is it so important that we spend so much time focusing on this? If we're remaining in his love and we're loving each other, where we're challenging each other to grow, we're encouraging each other, we're we're correcting each other when needed, we're helping each other to, to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus and to lead others to do the same, as we're continuing to do that, you know what that leads to? A basis for us to be able to endure the last part of this chapter that Jesus talks about. He says we're to expect to be hated by the world. We expect to be hated. Jump down to verse four, or excuse me, verse eighteen. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you: a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours but they'll do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. He goes on and talks a little bit about that further about especially what's about to happen to him. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week because it comes up in chapter 16 as well. But following Jesus is going to cause us to be hated. Okay? Now, we are unbelievably blessed out of any time in human history. There are things that make us nervous. There are civil liberty concerns that are out there. But the reality is none of us had to hide the fact that we were coming to church this morning. We're literally streaming this live on Facebook and YouTube in public ways without any fear of reprisals. We have the the freedom to be able to to come to church, to gather, to speak openly about Christ without any fear of our business being taken away or anything like that. Maybe that won't last forever. But for today, we, we enjoy that in large part. However, as we are seeing, there are times when, as we take stands for things that we believe the Bible teaches, that people are hating it. We believe that the Bible teaches that marriage is a union of one man and one woman for one lifetime, that that's God's design for marriage. We believe that every human being is created with value, worth, and dignity and has a right to life from the moment of conception through natural death. 
We believe that we should advocate for refugees, for people who are without a home. We believe that we should do what we can to support the poor and steward the earth well. The resources that God's entrusted to us, he's called us to exercise dominion over his creation, but that doesn't mean we get to exploit it. Now, hopefully I've been able to offend folks on both sides of the aisle. Because what I realize is as I follow Christ, as you and I follow Christ, that's gonna make us not always Republican and not always Democrat. It puts us in the category of neither. I think about the, the angel of the Lord when Joshua met him outside of the walls of Jericho. You remember the angel of the Lord, anytime you see him in the Old Testament, that's Jesus before he came in the virgin birth. He walks up to, Joshua walks up to the angel of the Lord, sees this mighty warrior and says, are you for us or for our enemies? He says, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, here's what I say. The reality is God is not a Democrat. God is not a Republican. God is God and he is the sovereign Lord over all of human history and creation. So as we stand up and say, this is not okay or this is what God calls us to do, people will hate us on both sides. So why do we need to know that we need to remain in his love? Because in those moments when people hate us for standing up for what the Bible says is true and what God says actually leads to human flourishing, when you and I stand up for those things and truthfully declare, this is who God is, this is what he said is right, we can do so and respond to whatever happens in that same kind of love that he's shown us in spite of the hatred of the world. Expect it. Expect people to get mad at you for something you say. Expect people to not like Jesus and not like you because they don't like him. When that happens, and guys, listen, I'm a people pleaser, okay? By nature, that's me. I don't like people to be mad at me. I don't. So I've already, as I went through that that list of things that I just said, I've already wondered who am I going to get emails about which issue from, okay? And that's okay. If you want to sit down and talk about it, I would love to sit down. That's not, I'm just saying that's where my mind goes. So how do we endure the opposition that's going to come? Because what are you going to do to me? Treat me like Jesus? What if you crucify me? That's the exact same thing that they did to Jesus. That's the worst you can do. Think about the way that the apostles reacted. They had been arrested by the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish Supreme Court, basically. They had been beaten and they were sent out so that they wouldn't teach about the name of Jesus anymore. Here's how they went out. It says they went out. This is the apostles. After having been beaten, after being arrested, said they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully because of the name. The name there is Jesus. Not a political party, not a political leader, not the name there is Jesus. They had been preaching Jesus and they were beaten for following Jesus and teaching about him and they rejoiced over that. Rejoiced over what? Woohoo, we got our name on TV. No, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. 
Jesus said that the least in the kingdom of earth is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and I fully expect that when we get to heaven, there's going to be some guy that you're going to look at who's over some big area of something, and your first question is, who's that? And you're going to find that it's somebody who we had no idea who he was, but he sat faithfully in a prison cell for 30 years in a country that was closed to the gospel and shared the gospel with everybody that he had an opportunity with while his wife wept for his release. And he faithfully served day in and day out from a prison cell because he was counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. What if, hey guys, what if the persecuted church is the blessed ones? We think we're the blessed ones, right? We've got money, we've got great health care, we, we live in air-conditioned houses. Yeah, it's hard to find stuff at Kroger right now, but the reality is there's still plenty of food out there. We think we're the blessed ones. But what if the blessed ones are the ones who are actively being treated shamefully on account of the name of Jesus Christ? How can they do that? Because they're remaining in the love that Jesus showed them. That's the love that exists between the Father and the Son that he showed to them that they're reflecting to their brothers and sisters in Christ and even to their captors. Love and hate are an interesting juxtaposition in this passage. But what Jesus is calling us to is to remain in God's love. The love that exists within God himself, that he shares with you to reflect that love to other people and to be expecting to be hated along the way. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. What do you need to do different this week? We like to take a time to respond here. Again, if you're not familiar with this, this is just something we do. We bow our heads and close our eyes because it allows us to kind of turn off a few of our senses and just focus a little bit better on what we need to change and let us just think. We'll have Daniel playing some music here in a second just to give you some background noise because as Americans, we hate silence and it makes us uncomfortable. So this gives us some background noise just to be able to think. What do you need to do different this week? Maybe you've been doubting God's love for you and you simply need to rest in it. Maybe you need to reflect his love to others and there's somebody in particular that you don't feel like loving. But God's calling you to reach out and to do something. Maybe you've got friends at work Classmates who are saying, oh man, just borrow my, my notes. It's no big deal. People who are calling you to compromise and who make fun of you because you stand with Christ. Would you say, God, I, I don't really like this. So help me to expect it. Help me to remain in your love. To reflect that love to others even when I'm hated. Would you ask God to give you the strength to love your brothers and sisters in Christ so that his church here could continue to grow? I'm not just talking numbers. We often think that, but 
growing to love him better, to live more like Jesus and and to lead other people to do the same? Take just a moment and do business with God. If you need to talk with me about starting a relationship with him or want to make these steps an altar just to pray, whatever you need to do, I'll be down front if you want me to talk with you. If not, just do business with God. And then I'll close this in prayer in just a moment. Father, Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus that they would be able to comprehend the love of God that goes beyond all comprehension. We've tried to talk about it some this morning, but we confess that we are limited. I'm finite. I can't communicate everything about who you are and the way you have loved us. So God, would you teach us what it looks like to remain in your love? For those who's hurting today, would you help them to rest in you? Then God, would you help us to reflect that love to others, especially others in our our church family here? Our other brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, maybe we've had a number of guests in recent months and maybe there's somebody at a previous church that you need to go back. God, would you give them the strength to be able to go back and make things right? That's what you're calling them to do. Father, would you help us to be able to reflect your love to each other so that we have this encouragement, this strengthening, this challenging, that as we go through the rest of our week and even when we're hated for standing for Christ, whether that's through not participating in the water cooler talk at the office and the gossip or the dirty jokes, whether it's using integrity when we do our schoolwork, or if it is taking political action to help bring justice where you see fit. God, would you give us the ability to stand strong for your name and for your glory. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love. Help us to live in it and show it to others this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.